Scripture passage for Pastor Charlie's sermon this morning is Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, what a privilege it is to know you and to serve you and to be a a body of Christ together. God, I, I just can't even find words to express the feeling that is in my heart now for the privilege of being in your family and being a family together in this place, Lord. So please help me now as I preach, Lord, as I give one more sermon to the practical details of our lives together. God, I pray that you would make these things live for us. I pray that you would help the church to see and help me to see, Lord, that as we engage in the things you've called us to do, that you will outfit us for mission, Lord. The practical things I'm talking about today have to do in the end with the glory of your name and the saving of souls. And so I just ask you to help us, Lord. I ask you to open up our eyes. Jesus, I cried out to you sincerely, and I asked you to help me see something of the future of the church, and I feel like you answered my prayer, Lord. I'm sure that you did, just as you have since 2005 when I began to pray for this church. And now I'm asking you, Lord, to open up all of our eyes. Help us to see at least a glimpse of what it is that you're doing for the glory of your name. We give ourselves to you, and we give our thanks to you now. In your mighty and merciful name, amen. Well, you know that for the last several weeks we've been talking about the mission and vision and strategy of Glory of Christ Church, and I do want to give just one more sermon to this subject, and then we'll get back to our normal course of things. If you're visiting with us today, I want to be really clear with you and let you know that we normally just go to the Bible and work our way right through books of the Bible. And beginning next week, we're going to start a long series, probably a year, year and a half series, going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not sermons you hear preached a lot or books you hear preached through a lot, but believe me, there's a lot more than might meet the eye. And I'm really, really looking forward to preaching through those. And then if the Lord gives us life and and allows this, the plan is after that to go to the book of Hebrews. And we'll probably spend way too much time in the book of Hebrews. I've been waiting to preach through that book since the year 2001. And so there's a lot of pent-up stuff in here. It might take me two years to get it all out. I don't know. We'll see. But that's kind of the plan, is to go through the Pentateuch, understand the movement of God in history, and then go to Hebrews and see the fullness of what He's done in Jesus Christ. That's kind of the, the, the future as I see it at this point. But for today, I do want to finish up my comments about the current state and the direction of the church, simply so that we'll all have a common sense of what it is that we're doing here. 
I told you last week that the elders have had a clear sense of where the church is going and why, but we know that we haven't done the best job of communicating that to the church, and we feel bad about that. And so these few sermons are just an effort to help bring everybody on page with us, and so we hope that you'll see that, and I hope that you'll receive our, our, our apology for not being quite as clear with you as we could have. And I hope that you'll pray for us as we go forward that we'd end up being better communicators after this. So for several weeks we looked at the Great Commission and we saw many things, but the main thing we saw, or at least at the heart of what we were looking at, is we saw what the mission of the church is. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to articulate that mission at this church. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the second hour. But one way or the other, what we saw clearly from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is that what Jesus has put us here in Elk River to do is simply to make disciples for the glory of His name by proclaiming the gospel in Elk River and Italy and India and wherever the Lord send us, by baptizing new believers and by teaching them to observe whatever Jesus Christ commanded. So again, I don't know exactly what the verbiage of the mission statement will be at the church, but it's not rocket science. That's what we're here to do, to make disciples for the glory of Christ, to help people become lovers of Christ, to help people be thrilled in the depths of their hearts with the person and the ways and the wills of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. With that in mind, we went to Matthew 16 for a week, and I wanted to put one more truth on the table, namely that Jesus Christ has promised to build His church. He is using means to build His church, but I hope and I pray in His great name that we would all have a sense that He is literally walking among us, working among us, knitting us together, working in us, working through us, building His church for the glory of His name. And He's got purposes for that here in Elk River and the surrounding areas. He's got purposes for that around the world. And I think we'll see in five years, ten years, twenty years' time that that's a truth. Jesus Christ is building His church through us. He did send us here. He is working in us, through us, among us. And I pray that we will sense His presence. As I have prayed and asked Him to give me a glimpse of the future and what He sees in the church, the vision that I have had has had a little to do with budgets and buildings and numbers and staff and all those things. Those things are important. They have their place. They have to be thought of. All of that, I acknowledge that. But what's much more important than all those things is who we are becoming as a people. And as I have prayed, I just constantly get a glimpse of who we're becoming. And it's the same glimpse I had in 2005 and 2006 as I prayed about coming to pastor this church. And I would simply put it in the language of 1 Peter 2.9 by saying that God is creating us to be a people of God. A people who are His own who are enthralled with God, who are thrilled with God, who are genuinely impressed with God, who are occupied with God, who are happy to seek God, and who are proclaiming the excellencies of God among the nations. I see a people who love Him, who love one another, and aren't afraid to say it out there in public so that others come into the fold. I see who Christ is making us to be as a people, and it really excites me. It really thrills my heart. It does. And I hope that you will pray with me and ask Jesus to give you a glimpse, because I do believe He'll give you the same peak, the same glimpse into the future that He's given me, because He's doing this. He's building His church. This is not coming from my imagination. Now, the thing is that as compelling of a vision as that is to me, what I know for a fact is that that vision or no vision at all will just come about. 
It's going to take work. It's going to take labor. It's going to take us cooperating together with Jesus to do the things that He has called us to do and to become the kind of people that He's called us to become. So as elders, we've sat back and thought about and prayed about what should be the strategy of this church. If that's the mission, to make disciples, and if that's the vision of people thrilled with God who are not afraid to proclaim the excellencies of God, then how will that come about? How will it actually happen? And we have five answers to that question. Five things that we feel compelled to build at this point now. Five things that will help us to become the people Jesus is dreaming of. And so I want to just read them quickly, and I'm going to spend all of today just on one of them. First of all, we believe as elders that we must continue to build a strong, consistent worship service where the glory of Jesus Christ is lifted up high and where the merciful Jesus Christ comes near to meet with His people. So we do want to exalt the glory of God, but not in such a way, you know, like we're going to a museum where we come and look at that thing over there that's really awesome and beautiful. But I think it is the will of God to exalt Himself and also to meet with His people. We want to see the vast resources and power and grace and mercy of God meeting people right where they're at and changing their lives day by day by day, week by week by week. And so we need a strong, strong central worship service. Secondly, we must develop strong community groups so that each member and attender of this body will at least have the opportunity to live out the one another commands of the Bible, which are plentiful. We have to engage in koinonia together, in other words. We have to live together as a people of God and not just as separated individuals. Number three, we must develop a structure through which we can teach the life-giving truths of the faith in such a way that they apply to our daily lives. I'm talking about things like a school of ministry. I'm talking about the family discipleship classes that we do. We have to have some way of formally instructing people so that we can all grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Number four, We need to learn as a church to reach out to lost people and to the least of these, to connect with them, to love them, to bring the gospel where they are, to tolerate them, to put up with their way of life, to deal with the messiness that they bring into our lives. We must learn to go. As I told you that Sunday when I preached about the Great Commission, that word go means get up from where you are and go to another place. We have to learn to go to the uncomfortable places and engage with people who are not like us over time. And finally, each of us must grow in personal love and devotion for Christ. As elders, we believe that if we will cooperate together with Jesus Christ in these five ways, that He will build us into a people who will gladly do the Great Commission, who will be thrilled with Him and not ashamed at all to proclaim His excellencies everywhere we go. Now last week I spent our time talking about the first part of our strategy, the worship service. And I just told you a few things that are on our hearts about what we're doing. Just trying to help you at least know we're doing something. We have a goal in mind. And the goal is for the glory of God and the good of the whole church. And now this Sunday I want to talk about the community groups and spend our whole time talking about that. And I'm going to leave the other parts of the strategy for another time. Because the truth is, right now, we're working mostly on the worship service and on the community groups. There are other things we're doing, but mainly we're putting probably 80% of our energy into these two things. And so I want us to get on page. Would you please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4? Go back to our old friend, Ephesians. We were here for a long time at this church. So, in fact, I don't know, Josh Springfield, if you're here, but I just uh, 
noticed on my wall yesterday, Josh, you wrote me a little, you drew me a little picture when I was preaching from Ephesians 4.11, and I put a date on it and stuck it up on my wall, and I just noticed that yesterday. It was in 2007, so that was a nice memory. I want to read with you from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, that is a mouthful. That is a lot of meat there. So, here's one way that you could diagram the life of the church. I'm not too great at this, but... uh, I borrowed this off a PowerPoint, and I'll explain this diagram to you based on texts like this. First of all, I put Jesus Christ at the top because He is the unrivaled head of the church, right? He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one who laid His life down for our sins, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is the one that's gathering for Himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation all over the world. He is the Lord of the church. The Father, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, has made Him head over all things and given Him as head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So then Jesus Christ, this arrow going down to the body, simply means that Jesus is forming for Himself a people. He's making for Himself a body of believers who He calls His temple and His body and His bride, in fact. And I think it's Revelation 21. The Bible even calls us the wife of Jesus, which is pretty amazing to me. Out of the body of Christ, Jesus Christ uh, appoints elders. And He gives them authority in the church. It's real authority. But He gives them authority for the people and not so much over the people. In other words, He gives us authority to serve everyone in the name of Christ for the good of the whole. He doesn't give us authority so that we'll be big shots or lord it over God's precious people. And because He's given us authority for... He commands us as elders to equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry. That's why the elders box is underneath the church and the, and the arrow is pointing upward back toward the body. We are supporting the church, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry so that our job is to equip, it's to use what Jesus has given us to serve you in that way, and then each of us is to engage in the ministries God has called us to do. And as we all as a body engage in the ministries that He's called us to do, several things come about, which are truly amazing things if you stop to take them in and take them seriously. Five things that I'll mention here. Number one, the body of Christ is built up. In other words, it grows in number, it grows in maturity as the elders equip and the saints engage in the ministry. 
Number two, we all attained the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So that the point of our common ministry is that we would all come to a common mind about who Jesus Christ is and what His purposes are in our lives and in the church. And we'll work together for the glory of His name. So we equip, everybody works, and we attain unity and knowledge of Jesus Christ as He is. Number three, we grow together into full maturity until the day that we become exactly like Jesus. That's what I take this phrase to mean, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That the design of Jesus in our midst is to actually make us like Himself until the day when we are exactly like Him. We will never be Him, but we will be made perfectly in His image. That day when we see Him, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Now we all know that in this world we will never achieve the fullness of that, but I hope that we'll understand that what Christ is trying to do in our midst, day by day by day, is make us to be more like Him. And if we will get this right as a people, and the elders will focus on equipping, and the saints will engage in the work of ministry under the loving leadership of the elders, then we should become more and more like Jesus as each year goes by. At the end of 2011, we as a people should be more like our Savior than we are today. That's what He is up to in the life of His church as we all play our part in each other's lives. Number four, we become stable in the truth. So that when the lies of the devil and the cunning tricks of the devil come against our lives, the ship of our lives won't lose the anchor and we won't be just floating all over. And every new teaching that comes along, we'll just go with that teaching. And every new lie that comes along, we'll just be persuaded by that lie. As the elders equip and the people engage in work, what happens is the church becomes stable. Stable. We'll see as we work our way through Hebrews over how, God only knows how many years that's going to take. But that that's the central problem of Hebrews is what I've come to call soul drift. Is that people have just slowly kind of gotten lazy and they're moving slowly but surely away from God. And what I'm saying is that as the elders do their job and then as the, each person does their job and plays their part, one thing that happens is it's like an anchor goes from the church to the Lord and we're stable. We have a stability about us. A loving stability but a stability nonetheless. And finally, number five, as the elders equip and the people engage, we learn to speak the truth in love to one another. Or if I could put that in other terms, it's like my friend Tim Kaine likes to say, we learn to gospel each other. We learn to speak the truth of the gospel into each other's lives. So if I get on your nerves, rather than just telling me that I got on your nerves and that I'm a jerk... You take the truth of the gospel and help me to see how I could be more like Jesus. You learn to speak the gospel into my life in love. And when I do something right and you want to encourage me, rather than just telling me I'm a great guy, you, you take the truth of the gospel and you encourage me, you exhort me with the truth of the gospel. We speak to the truth to one another in love. And as we learn to speak the gospel into each other's lives, what happens is that the church is built up in love. We become more mature, but, but we become more like Christ and the church is just built up and built up and built up in love. It's really an amazing picture, beloved. If each of us will submit ourselves to Jesus Christ and play the part that He has called us to play, He will build us into the church that He is dreaming of here. Now, elders in every single culture around the world have to figure out how to cooperate with Jesus to submit to this vision that He has for the church. 
In other words, we have to figure out how exactly we will go about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Because other than the Bible telling us that we're to teach by the Word of God, that we're to equip people by teaching, it doesn't give us a whole lot of clues as to exactly what that equipping looks like. And so that's a good thing. That means that the elders have to live by faith in every country in the world and submit themselves to Christ and say, Lord, how would you have us do it here? And so as elders of this church, we have spent a long time, years in fact, praying and thinking about the structure that we would build. And I know that for some of you it probably seems like we've been very slow, maybe too slow. But I want to help you understand, we're not just thinking about a five-year period here. We're thinking about 20 years out and 50 years out, long beyond when we're gone. We, we want to build a structure that doesn't have to be destroyed because we built the wrong structure. And so we were waiting on the Lord, seeking the Lord, coming to one mind together. And over time, what we decided to do was to come to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, mainly through community groups. The point is that we want to help us live out the one another commands. We want to help us engage in the life of koinonia. The groups that we have formed, and by the way, that's what CG means there is community group. The reason there's four circles up there is because we're planning originally to start with four groups. Each of these groups in some ways will be like typical small groups, but they're going to be significantly different in one or two ways. And so I want to take some time to explain that to you and let you know like what we're thinking and how we're going about the, the things that the Lord has put on our hearts. Specifically, what we're asking these groups to do, besides their regular meetings, is we're asking them to take responsibility to shepherd the souls of the families that live in the area where they are. We understand that not every family in the area where a group is is going to be able to attend the group meetings. That's okay with us. But we want to make sure that every family in this church is paid attention to, that they're cared for, that they're prayed for, that they're called, that they're emailed, that when there's births or deaths or surgeries or marriages or whatever, that the church is there to be with them and walk through things with them. And as elders, we felt that the best way to do that is to organize the church into community groups that will not only meet as a group, but take responsibility for the souls in that area. And so... One thing that we have decided to do is not just appoint any old leaders to lead these groups, but we've seen as elders that we need people who have the ability to essentially pastor and shepherd souls. And so our idea is to appoint deacon-level people to lead each of these groups. Let me take a few minutes and explain to you what I mean by that. Would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 6? I want to look with you at verses 1 through 7 and just kind of get an idea of what it is that a deacon looks like biblically. So in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, here's what Luke writes. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here was the situation. The early church had grown extremely rapidly. They went from being a a group of about this size, about 120 people, who went up into an upper room and just prayed and prayed and prayed and sought the Lord by the command of Jesus. And then you know the story. When the, when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost and Peter rose up to preach the Gospel, several thousand people came to Christ like that overnight. I believe that Acts 2 says about 2,000 men came. So if you include women and children, you're talking about the, an instant development of a megachurch. Just like that. Just like that. And in chapter 4, it happened again. Peter is preaching again, and now thousands more come to Christ again. So that in a very short space, we're talking about weeks or maybe months at the most, the church went from being a small church to being a mega church because the Holy Spirit poured Himself out and He had purposes that He was trying to enact through that church. What happened was, there very quickly arose some dissension in the church. Our good friend Ken Sandy, the president of Peacemaker Ministries, likes to say that wherever two or three are gathered, there will be conflict among them, right? This is just part of being human. Where there's motion, there's friction. Where there's people, there's conflict. It's just part of what we have to deal with in our brokenness and with our enemy coming against us. And so what happened is, in this early church, you had Jews who had grown up in the area of Jerusalem and Palestine, and they were Hebrew speakers, And then you had other Jews who had grown up in other parts of the world, but got saved there in this church in Jerusalem, and they were mainly Greek speakers. They grew up in different cities, in different cultures. They thought differently. They did things differently. And so now you had this conflict between the Hebrew speakers and the Greek speakers, and it was really threatening the life of the church. And so the apostles knew this was serious, but what they did was they gathered the whole entire church, and they said, listen, we really care about you. We care about the things that are happening inside the church and it matters. It has to be addressed in order for the gospel to go forward. But God has called us as the pastors of the church in Jerusalem, which is essentially what they were at that time, to focus our lives on the ministries of prayer and the teaching of the Word. We must stay in that position or the church will go astray and be lost. So we cannot get involved in all these situations, but we really care. So here's what we want to do. We want to work with you to appoint deacons to rise up from among you. We will lay our hands upon them and give them power to pastor your souls, essentially. And what I want us to see here for our purposes this morning is that in our day, a lot of us, at least, we think about deacons as people who generally just do administrative work to take that kind of work off the shoulders of elders. And that's a good thing. And I suppose people who do that could be called deacons at times. But biblically speaking, deacons were doing substantial, what we would call, pastoral work. Deacons had responsibility to shepherd the souls of God's people under the authority of the elders. This is why the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy are what they are. Please turn there with me now. 1 Timothy chapter 3 just want to read for you verses 8 through 13. I'm really not going to say anything about this. I just want you to notice as we read what is implied by the kind of qualifications that are being called for here. If your only job is to do administrative tasks, you really don't need all these qualifications. But I want us to understand that biblically deacons are called to do what we call pastoral work. 
They're called to help the elders shepherd the souls of the church. So here's what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3, beginning in in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their household, their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So again, my, my only point in taking us to Acts and First Timothy is to say that deacons have substantial pastoral ministry upon them. They have that kind of calling upon them. They are to shepherd the souls in concert with the elders and under the authority of the elders. And that is why, as elders, when we've looked at these community groups, what we have seen is that we need to train and test and eventually appoint the leaders of these groups to be deacon-level people. When the time is right, we will literally bring them here publicly before the church, lay our hands on them as elders, and and lay upon them the authority to help us shepherd the souls of every single family in this church. Now, I want to be clear with you that as the elders... Can you go back to the other one, please? As the elders hand each of these groups off to deacon types, number one is we're going to have those deacons apprentice another family so that they can be multiplying their leadership, so that as the church grows and we need more groups, we will always have more leadership. So every deacon couple will have to find another couple to mentor into the role that they that they are playing, and the elders will help them to do that. And, and then as each of them runs their groups in the way that God is calling them to do, I want you to understand that the elders are not just going to hand the life of the church over to these people and essentially say to them, have a nice life. We're so glad that you've come along to help us care for the people here and now have a nice life. And, and, the, and then the elders would detach from the lives of the people. That's not the picture here, beloved. We are going to stay attached to the souls of everybody in this church. We're going to continue to pray for you week in and week out. Just last night, I spent an hour, maybe an hour and a half, praying over every single one of you by name. Every man, every woman, every child. And that is not abnormal. As elders, we pray for you. We will continue to pray for you. We are called to the ministry of prayer. We will stay connected with you. And you understand, when a person prays for another person, God shares His heart for that person with you. And so it's impossible not to stay connected. If you have praying elders, you will have loving elders, is my point. And we will continue to pray for you. We will continue to be there for you when you have sicknesses, when you have births, when you have marriages, when there are deaths in your family. You will be welcome to come directly to the elders at any time. We will be there for you. All we're saying is that we need to enlist deacons to help us care for every single soul in this church so that we lose none. Beloved, Mike and Kevin and I have to stand before Jesus Christ and answer for the souls that He entrusted to us at this church. And I tremble when I think about that. And I want to be able to say to Him what He said to the Father, namely, Lord, we haven't lost one of all those that You gave to us. And so what we're envisioning this to be is a way for us to cooperate together with the whole church to make sure that we have not lost one. As far as the structure of this goes... We're going to appoint Mike to be the pastor for community life. 
Right now, I'm the pastor for vision and teaching. Kevin is the pastor for family discipleship. Mike will become the pastor for community life, and he will be responsible to oversee the deacon leaders of all these groups. He will stay in touch with those leaders. He will hear what's going on in the groups. He will support them. He will train them. He'll do whatever he has to do to stand with them. He won't be the only one involved in that, but he'll be the buck stopper. He'll be calling the leaders of every group together once a quarter for training and for prayer and for strategizing and all that. So in other words, one of the elders is going to take the responsibility to put the time in to manage all of this and make sure that it runs well over time. And the rub of that, the end result of that, is that every single person in this church will be personally cared for every day over time. That's the bottom line. We don't want to lose the sheep that the Lord has given us. We do not want to neglect the sheep that the Lord has given us. And so as elders, this is our vision of how to get that done. Now if you'll go to the next slide, please. I want to kind of detail into one of the community groups and talk with you a little bit about what we're asking from from these groups. We're going to ask every group to do five things. So Jesus Christ is over them. The elders are serving for the good of the whole. The deacons are assisting us in serving the whole. And in that context, we're going to ask each group to do five things. It will be up to them to figure out how to get it done. We're not going to dictate that. But we want five elements in every group. Number one is the Word of God. We want every group to to nourish themselves on the Word. So I don't know if you all remember a book from a while back. I was just down in Atlanta for two days, by the way. So the y'all stuff is, uh, I kind of picked that up. If I start talking a little funny, it's because I was down there in Atlanta. But there was a book that came out from a southern guy actually a few years ago called Boundaries. It was a decent book. The guy's a believer and all that, but it was not really rooted in the Word. So that kind of book would really not fly in one of our groups. We want the groups to feed on the Word of God. The second thing we want is for each group to sing out loud together. Steve, we want to cooperate with you to, to create a culture of singing here at the church. And so even if it's a little uncomfortable for two or three or five people in a room to sing, we just want to encourage the people to sing. I was thinking last night as I was praying through this, about Paul and Silas and them whenever they would be arrested and they'd go to jail. And you remember the times in the Scripture where it would say they would be sitting in jail. And what would they do? They would sing out to the Lord. Now they were men. I doubt that they were good singers. Maybe they couldn't even sing on tune, but they had this heart in them that they had to sing to God, and so they did. And the power of God pulsed through some of those jails. Remember the the story in Philippi. The, The jailer got saved, and many in that place got saved as they simply sung out and prayed to God. So we wanna we wanna be a people who sing to the Lord. Number three, we wanna be a people who pray. So we're asking every group to pray. They can get it done however they want. In our group, what we decided to do was take the, the, the names of all the families in our area and put them on index cards, and we're going to pass them around to everybody every time we meet and pray for every single family. We're going to stay in touch with the families and see if there are prayer requests, and we're going to cover our people in prayer as a group. However each group does it is fine with us. We just want them to be a praying people. Number four, we want people to care for each other. We want them there where, when there's births, when there's sicknesses, when there's deaths, where there's all this stuff. We just want the groups to be there to care for one another and be involved in each other's lives. And finally, number five, we want each group to share with the lost and with the least of these outside the group. There's a number of ways to get that done, but we want every group to find some way to get outside of itself and reach into the community with the gospel. We won't dictate that, but we do want 
that to get done. So the Word of God, worship, prayer, care for one another, and sharing Jesus Christ with the lost. We understand that all these things can't take place overnight in the life of a group. It will take time. We just started our group last Sunday, and it will take us a few months to be able to work all of this into our life together as a group. But with God's help, we will be able to do that, and I praise God for that in advance. Now with all that in mind, I just want to take a few more minutes and summarize for you exactly where we are right now with the groups and exactly where we're going so that you'll understand what we're doing and so that you can pray and join with us. As most of you remember, we spent the better part, I think, of five months talking about the subject of koinonia. The word koinonia means a commonness of life. It means that since I am in Christ and you are in Christ, that we share all the greatest things of life together and that Jesus Christ, when He reconciles us to God, not only does that, but He reconciles us to one another. And His aim, His goal, His vision in the life of the church is to knit us together as a body, as a temple, and as a bride. And that has implications for our lives. We can't just agree with Koinonia and say, yeah, that's great theology, that's wonderful teaching, and then do nothing about it. If we're going to be connected with Christ, we have to find ways of being connected with people. And believe me, beloved, as elders, we understand that not everybody's going to be able to fit right into these community groups as we've imagined it. And that's okay. Lots of things count as koinonia. Lots of things count. But as elders, we had to build some structure to help the church do life together. And this is the structure that we feel called to build. Now, our original plan was to preach on Koinonia for about two to three months and then launch the community groups right after that sermon series was over. But what happened is that I got carried away with my sermons and I ended up preaching for five months. So that after preaching for five months on Koinonia, we're right up now against Memorial Day. And as elders, we just felt that in Minnesota, you don't build anything between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Am I right about that? Can I get an amen? We just didn't think it was a good idea. And that was the right decision. The, the huge mistake we made is we forgot to say that publicly. So we spent five months talking about koinonia and probably left a lot of you going, huh, what the heck was that all about? Why do we take five months to do that and then we didn't take that next vital step? Well, we were just delaying the onset of the community groups. And I really do apologize to you that we were not clear with you about what we were doing. As I said last week, we did know what we were doing, but since we didn't tell you, we left you wondering if we knew what we were doing. But that's what we were doing. We were just waiting until the fall to fire up these groups. What happened was John and Zimmerman and Dave and Larry Sison in East Elk River began groups, and that was just fine with us. And then in the fall, Mike fired up the group in Rogers, and then just last Sunday we started the group in the west side of Elk River. So right now, if we can go to the next slide again now, please. We actually do have four groups functioning. They're not all that they're, they're going to be, but they're at least going. we got Zimmerman, East Elk River, Rogers, and West Elk River going now. Very soon, Mike will be convening the leaders of all the groups so that we can talk and pray and get on page with each other and strategize with each other and, and just help each other to go forward with this vision. And so if you're a leader of one of the groups, please be looking out for an email very soon from Mike as he'll be gathering us. And the plan is that we just want to be on page and pull together in the same direction so that the people of God will be cared for both now and in the future of the church. Beloved, the point of putting so much energy into these groups is that we want to be able to work with one another to obey the one another commands of Scripture. They're all over the place. 
Dave Fergus told me recently that since the Koinonia series, every time he reads the Bible, he's just seeing Koinonia everywhere. And the reason is because it's there. It is everywhere. Life together is everywhere. And so the point of putting all this energy into these things is simply to help us submit to Jesus Christ and do life with one another. It's in His plan. His highest glory is there. Our highest joy is there. And so that's why we're doing this. And I pray that you would pray with us that God would give us success and I pray that you would roll up your sleeves and get involved and help us to build this for the glory of Jesus' name. Now, the community groups have to be seen in context as well. Because all of this has to do with becoming the kind of people God is calling us to be. And we simply believe that if we will develop a strong worship service where every week, week in and week out, we're communing as a people with God, if we build strong community groups where we're walking in love with one another, if we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and reach out to the lost and grow in personal, individual devotion to Christ, We believe that this church will grow up into the fullness of the stature of the measure of Jesus Christ. We believe that that will happen. And so again, I want to call on you now to pray with us. I want to call on you to roll up your sleeves and go to work with us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for what you're doing here at Glory of Christ Fellowship. We praise you for the promise that you will build your church. We praise You that even though the elders make mistakes and all of us make mistakes, that You just simply will not quit. That You will build Your church. That You will complete the work that You began in the day of Christ Jesus and You'll carry it all the way to the day of Christ Jesus. You will accomplish Your will. And I thank You for that, Father. I pray that You'd come now, God. I pray that You'd ignite our passion. I pray that You would energize us, Lord. I pray that You'd give us wisdom. I pray that You'd give us resources. I pray that You'd bring us leaders and people, Father, to go forward with what You've called us to do. We love You, and we give ourselves to You as a people. In Jesus' name.